Yeah, um, my name's TJ. Um, this is my family. I go to Jubilee Church, London. That's these lot at the front. We're a noisy bunch. We're a noisy bunch. <laughs> but quickly, everyone that's sitting like behind the screen or level through the screen and behind, can you make some noise quickly? Okay, you guys are all there. You guys are... And also, guys, on this side, can you guys just make some noise so I know you're there? You're there? Amazing. Amazing. This side? Okay. All right, everyone's involved. Just to let Joe McNamara know. I don't worry, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, they, they said that the, they didn't know who won the football. So, the, the, what's it, the semi-final and final's coming later. And Jubilee Church is going to win it all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Hey. Amen. Amen. All right. That's all the Jubilee stuff done. No more bias. I'm going to get into preaching. Is that cool with everyone? All right. If you've got your Bible, turn me to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15. This is a well-known story. It says this. Luke 15, verse 11. It says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as one of the citizens, to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17, it says this, but when he came to himself, everyone say he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise, everyone say arise, and go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was a long way off, Thank you, Jesus. His father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead, and he is now alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to celebrate. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Now, can I be a bit vulnerable with you guys? I'm going to share an embarrassing story that I've never told before. Um, I, when I was in year two, um, we got a picture of me in year two? I can't see down here. Come on, St. Matthews, Ponderson, What? <laughs> That's me. That's a, that's a young TJ. You see the handout like this? Just like, what? What? You know what I mean? Um, so I was in year two. I was a real good student. I was real well behaved. And um, we were doing like a drama performance. We were doing uh, Prince of Egypt, right? Come on. Actually, I don't even know if it was Prince of Egypt. It was like just something to do with Moses, right? And I got the lead part. I was Moses. Oh, I mean, obviously. Come on now. Like... So I was Moses, and I was gearing up for this part. It was like an end-of-term type play. I remember the first acts got done. Moses as the guy that's in, you know, with Pharaoh and all of that, and he's in the royal garments and all of that kind of stuff. And then he, gets, he goes out into the wilderness, and he has to have a change of clothes, right? 
So I'm side of stage, and I'm like, this is going well. It's time for me to change my clothes. And I took off the top. I was behind this little curtain. I took off the top, and I went to take off my trousers, and I realized something. The shorts I was meant to be wearing underneath the robe were not there. Um, and I looked down, and I thought, this is, this is mildly embarrassing, but it, do, it doesn't matter, because I'm behind the curtain, right? So, in true professional fashion, I said, the show must go on. And I was there, top comes off, trousers come off, and I start hearing. <laughs> I'm thinking, what? I turn around, and there's a small gap in the curtain. And what was a small gap wasn't actually a small gap. It was a gap gap that was in the curtain. And I was there in my Tesco wife fronts just looking. And it was embarrassing. And I wanted the world to just swallow me up. It was the worst moment because there were year six and year five kids that were just pointing and laughing at me. And I was just there in year two like, please, Lord, take me now. I'm ready. <laughs> it was embarrassing. Now, there's a story in the Bible that talks about embarrassment because of nakedness. But it's a little bit different to my story. You see, my story was embarrassing, but this story that's in the Bible is a little bit more than embarrassing. It's an absolute catastrophe. Uh, it's, it's the book of Genesis right at the start of the Bible. And God creates everything. Man, woman, he creates them in his image. And they're in perfect harmony, perfect commune. Everything's going well. It's beautiful. Perfect. But you may know the story, maybe you don't, but, but, but what happened is, he's, God said to them, don't go and eat from that tree. But this slivering serpent came along, I said to them, did God really say that? And, 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 and he convinced them to take of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says this, when they took a bite from the fruit that was on that tree, Genesis 3 verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, for me, being partially naked was an embarrassment. And to be honest, a couple of weeks later, I've forgotten all about it and I can stand here in front of thousands of people and make jokes about it. But you see... Adam and Eve's realization of their nakedness, it wasn't a mere uh, a moment of embarrassment or something that they could joke about a little bit later. It was the most catastrophic moment in the history of mankind. They're standing there and they recognize that they're naked. That they recognized that there was something that needed to be covered up. And this signified the very moment that man had been separated from his purpose. Separated from communion with God. And that's where we're going today. I want to, right from the outset, tell you what I'm preaching on. I'm preaching on this. God wants to meet with you. So come out of hiding. That's it. That's where I'm going today. And I, just before we get into the rest of the preach, I want you to know this. Everyone, just listen right now. This message is for you. The God of the universe is seeking you. Not just, he doesn't want you to just know about him. He doesn't want you to just know facts about him and say that you came to a camp in the middle of Norfolk and it was kind of cool and we heard some stuff about Jesus. No, he wants to meet with you. He doesn't want to remain a rumor. 
He doesn't want to remain something that I heard Jesus did this and I heard Jesus did that. He wants to be so, in, so immersed with your life that you go home saying, I met with the living God. That's what God wants to do in each and every one of us today. Amen? Okay, I'm from a church where when we say amen like that, you, you, have, to, you have to lift an amen. You know what I'm saying? So amen? amen. Thank you, guys. Before that, let's pray. Let's pray. Everyone bow your heads. Jesus, we come before you. We come before you as King Jesus, high, lifted up with all authority. And we thank you for the truth in the words of the song that we sung that said you are the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, and you are the light in the darkness. And that's just because that is who you are. So we pray come and be that and more today, Lord God. Come and meet with each and every one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, let me explain why this story is so catastrophic, right? In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates mountains. He creates valleys. He creates canyons. He creates caves. He creates oceans, rivers, lakes. He creates birds, fish, mammals. He creates man. He creates absolutely everything. And he created the sun, and he created the moon, and he created the stars, and he did it all with a whisper. He did it all with a word. And you see... 100 billion galaxies, 100 billion stars in each one of these galaxies. And still, he made man and he said it was very good. He made it in his image. He made man in his image. And what you have there in the Garden of Eden is this perfect paradise. You have this scenario where man, Adam and Eve, is with the God of the universe. Just think about it. Picture it for a second. There is perfection in that garden. Every single word, an act of worship from Adam and Eve, every single breath, a declaration of God's goodness and God's presence is so thick and tangible. He is just there with them. It is perfect. It is simply heaven on earth. The God of the universe just there dwelling with man, with you and I, with Adam and Eve. Nothing hidden, no insecurity, no shame, no guilt, no pain, no fights, no stress, just him. They were so free, so accepted, so innocent. They didn't know they were naked. They didn't even know what naked was. Why would they? Who would they be naked in front of? Who would they be hiding from? There was nothing to hide. But then Satan came along and convinced them that God wasn't being completely truthful with them. And in a moment of utter madness, Adam and Eve took and ate of the fruit and it said that their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. They realized that there was something on the inside that needed covering up. They realized there was something to be ashamed about. And so they sewed fig leaves together. And then we get to verse 9, where God comes to them. It says, in the cool of the evening, in the wind, God comes to them. Can you imagine that scene? They know they've done something wrong. They were afraid. And it said they heard God coming. It says this in verse 9, but God called to the man and said these three words, where are you? Do you think that's weird? At all. That the God who created the sun, moons, and stars with a whisper and created everything that you can see and made it with a purpose, on purpose. The God that just spoke and it happens. With, with stars and galaxies too numerous for us to count no matter what telescope you're using. Don't you find it weird that he's asking Adam and Eve, where are you? Do you think that he lost them? Answer me, do you feel that he lost them? Does that make sense? 
See, I don't think he lost them in the garden. So why is he asking, where are you? You see, the question, where are you, isn't so much a question of physical position, but it's of spiritual openness. There was something that Adam and Eve were open about that they were now trying to cover with these hands that had been dipped in a pool of shame. And God asked them the question, where are you? Now, that's a living nightmare. Me being a little bit more naked than I want to be in front of my primary school, that's not really a nightmare. But this is a living nightmare that they were in open freedom and now there was something that needed covering. What was freedom and acceptance and innocence and oblivious nakedness was now captivity, guilt, and no choice but to hide. And this is the thing, as people, we have been hiding ever since that moment. And you might want to hide as much as you want, but this is the truth of it all. God still wants to meet with you. You may hide, but like we heard yesterday, the good shepherd never stops seeking. That question of where are you was simply an opportunity for man to come out and say, here I am and I need covering and I need saving. But we spend our whole lives hiding and hiding and drawing away and coming away from God and, and, and trying to hide these little things in our life. Don't go there, God. Today, I believe God is saying to each and every one of us, where are you? You see, the kind of hiding that I'm talking about is not like the thing that we like to do as humans where we like to surprise our friends. You know, when it's their birthday and we have a surprise birthday for them and we jump out and we say, surprise. And the person's like, thank you. I just wanted to chill tonight. It's not that kind of hiding. It's not the kind of hiding that we enjoy doing when we're trying to play a prank on someone. This hiding is an attempt to escape exposure of the things that we feel too shameful to bring forth. And I want to go a bit deeper into this with the time that I've got. I want to ask these questions. Why do we hide? How do we hide? And where do we hide? And I believe God is just going to drop some things in your heart today. And I really pray that he does. So number one, if you're taking notes, number one for you is why do we hide? Verse 9 says, but the Lord called to them and said to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Or if we rearrange that, I hid because I realized that there was something that needed covering up. And therefore, I was scared, scared about something. Or another way, I, I, I covered up. Because I realized there was something that needed covering up. And that made me ashamed. And I have shame, so I cover up and I hide. Why do we hide? There's two reasons I believe in that sentence right there. Number one is shame, and number two is fear. Let me talk about shame. Shame is one of the enemy's biggest tactics. It's one of the things that the enemy will use against you and I to keep us stuck in a position and stop us living out the reality and the destiny that God has called us to. Shame is the painful and feeling of humiliation or distress that is caused by recognition of wrong. And you might be someone that's here and carrying shame. Shame about something. And when it comes to shame, there's three reasons why you can feel shame. Number one is because of things that you've done. Number two is because of things that have been done to you. And number three is because of things that you feel you might do in the future. Things that you've done. Things that have been done to you. And things that you may think you may do in the future. Let me break that down. 
something you've done. I'm talking about the sin that clings so close. The lifestyle that you've been leading, the sex, the drugs, the way that you speak to your parents, the way that you behave in public. The way that you behave in private. The things that you thought about God, the way that you treated your siblings, the way that you've treated your teachers, that porn addiction, that game addiction, food addiction. The dishonesty that plagues you, the cheating in the exam or the cheating on the person. And so on and so forth. That thing that you've done, that every time that you step into church, you struggle to raise your hands in worship because you feel like you're unworthy. Because of something that you actually have done. And ever since you've done that thing or ever since you continue to do that thing, there's been this feeling of shame. Even sitting down in New Day right now is difficult for you. Something you've done that causes you shame. Number two is something that has been done to you. I'm talking about the abuse, ongoing abuse, mental abuse, where a parent just keeps telling you that you're useless. Where people, the older siblings, keep telling you that you're useless, that you're not going to amount to nothing, that no one in this family has ever gone to university. Why do you think that you can? Those people that say to you, you're thick. You, ain't, you, you, don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And you feel shame because you started to believe those lies. I'm talking about that emotional thing where you are just getting bullied and you just feel so ashamed that every single night you've been crying yourself to sleep. I'm talking to the guys, the outside in public, you're, you're the big man, but when you get home, the dad is abusive. And you cry yourself to sleep every single night and you feel shame because of that. I'm talking about the physical abuse. I'm talking about the sexual abuse that you have faced or continue to face. Do you guys know what a brand is? Like what they used to do to slaves. They used to get this metal rod with an emblem on the end of it in metal, right? Something that signifies a house that has bought that slave. And they used to put it in a hot fire until it was red hot. And they'll take it and with the slaves that they had bought, they would on their skin. Marking them, scarring them for life with the name of the person who just bought them. See, sometimes they would, they would brand them on their hands so that every single time that their hands went to do something, they were reminded of whose they were and the oppression that they faced. Some of you, the shame of something that has been done to you is on your hands, and every time you try and do something, every time you try and serve at church, you're reminded, I did that thing, and suddenly your hands go behind your back like a leper. Sometimes they used to brand people up there. And you can't see it, but every single time you look in the mirror, you're reminded of that thing that that person did to you. And the words S-H-A-M-E read aloud on your forehead, and you're scared that everyone else sees it every single time that you leave the house. Shame caused by something that you've done. Shame caused by something done to you. Shame caused by something that you think you're going to do. This is an obscure one, but it's so true for so many of us. Us guys that have messed up. Anyone here messed up before? Oh, we've got an honest house. <laughs> and then you messed up again, right? And then you messed up again. My guy put his hand up like, yeah, thanks for the honesty. All right, yeah. <laughs> you mess up again, and you mess up again, and you mess up again. And then you get asked to do something. Hey, do you want to come and lead in this area? Do you, want to, do you want to pray out at the end of group? And you're like, no. Because you see, when I take that step that I've been called to take a step into, 
I'm just going to flop again. And I'm, I'm, it's like future shame. I'm, I am going to do something that is going to cause God to call me a hypocrite and cause men to call me a hypocrite. And so you know what? I would rather just hide in my shame. But shame doesn't stop there. Shame often leads to the second thing. Why do we hide? Because of shame, number two, because of fear. Fear of what? Fear of the consequences. Fear like Adam had. The consequences of what God is going to do to you for what you've done. The consequences of coming forward and saying, me, Lord, you feel like you're going to get a lightning bolt to the head. You see, what we do is we make God in our own image. And if someone kept wronging us and wronging us and wronging us, we would be tempted to punish them in the most severe way. And then we put that, idea, that, we put that thought on God. But then we read the Bible, we read Romans 6.23, and it says that the wages of sin are in fact death. So we were right. There are consequences. And what's the logical thing to do if death is creeping at your door? It's to hide. That's what Adam and Eve did when they heard God because they knew they'd messed up. What else are we afraid of? We're afraid of the vulnerability, which comes from a root of rejection, that vulnerability being open. You know what? I'm, I'm, I, I used to be useless at this, man. Like, real talk, I'm one of them guys where you would ask me, how was your day? And I could have had the worst day ever. And I'm like, yeah, come. I had the best day ever. You ask me, how's your day? I'm like, yeah, I'm tired. But I'm good trying to get the conversation to move quickly. You see, it wasn't because, actually, it wasn't because I wanted the conversation to move quickly. It was because I was afraid of the vulnerability. I could have had the worst day ever, and there were times when I had bad days, and my mom would say, how was your day? And I would say, yeah, calm. Why? Because I didn't like the vulnerability. I didn't like the feeling of opening up and knowing that someone could see my innermost. And we transfer that to God a lot of the times. We're scared of the vulnerability. What else are we scared of? We're scared of the cost of exposure. What do I mean by that? Um, being a Christian is going to cost you. Opening up to God is going to cost you. Coming out of hiding is going to cost you. There's this story in the Bible about this rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, follow these commandments and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy says, I do that. That's what I do. And Jesus says, okay, well, sell everything that you have Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. The guy says, hold up. <laughs> uh, I'm going to check you later on that one, Jesus. <laughs> and he turns around and he goes home. He says he goes home sorrowful. Why? Because the cost was too much. You see, what I think about that is if Jesus was there the next day, do you think he was coming out of his house? I wouldn't. I would hide because I knew that the cost would be too much. I, I, I can't pay the cost of coming out of this hiding place. I know if I come out of this hiding place, something might be asked of me, something might be required of me, and I'm not sure that I'm able to do that. I might lose reputation, because at the moment, I'm the guy in school, and the way that I react to teachers and the way that I talk to teachers gives me ratings. But I know that if I come out of hiding and I actually start giving my life completely to Jesus Christ, I'm going to lose that, and I might start falling down in the pecking order. I might lose my status. I might lose a couple of friends. I might have to stop that habit that has been keeping me going for a really long time. We're scared of the cost of exposure. Let me tell you something. Being a Christian is going to cost you everything. <laughs> but everything means absolutely nothing when you have the one thing that is Jesus Christ. You know, uh, I pray that today is the day that we come out of hiding. 
I pray that today is the day that you as an individual comes out of hiding. People behind the screen, I'm talking to you as well. I pray that today is the day that we come out of hiding. For those who feel shame, for those who are in fear, for those who are gripped, God is here and he's asking these, this question. He's saying, where are you? That's the opportunity for you to stand up and come to him. That's why do we hide, shame and fear. Number two, how do we hide? How do we hide? Um, anyone that knows me knows this one thing about me. I am terrible with my phone. Have I got any? <laughs> I deserve that. I deserve that. I deserve that. Um, anyone else here bad with their phone? Yes. <laughs> my jeez. Come on. Um, I'm really bad with my phone. And you know what? If I'm being totally honest, totally honest, it's actually just one of those things. Like, someone messages me. I'm like, normally doing something. I'm like, I'll get back to that later. And then later comes and I'm fast asleep. You know what I mean? And it can be a week, it can be whatever. And like, I apologize. I swear to some people I need to apologize here. Sorry, my bad. I'll get back to you real soon. I'm just bad with my phone. Most of the time, it's innocent. Like, most of the time. But every now and again, there's someone that just have to get blue ticked. Like, every now and again, there's just... You know what I mean? There's people that will message you and be like, hey, TJ, any times I can get tickets to... Yo. Like. Or people that will be calling you at all times of the night. You know them ones where the people are calling you, calling you, calling you. I'm just trying to chill with my wife. And you know what? Every now and again, I do air it. Or sometimes, and this is the bad one, this is me being open. Sometimes people message me asking me to do something and I'm literally just thinking, I can't lie, that is long. And I just, I just, I just, I just, you know what, uh, yeah, and I just don't reply to the message and whatever. And then Sunday comes around. And you walk into church and you see that person coming around the corner. And you're like, yay. Um, cool. I need to, what, what do we do in that moment? You hide, right? You hide. Let me show you the tactic. You get this. Put it to your ear. You don't even need to speak. You just nod. Yeah. You see the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, 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 same. And you just keep it moving, right? You see that right there? That's hiding. You see, we do, we do that to God. We, we, what, what we call that in London? We, we, we air him. We air him. We air God. How do we hide? We air him. You want to know how to air God? It's very easy. You... you you don't pray, you don't read your Bible, don't go to church, don't worship, and don't get around other believers. It's a really easy way to air God. And some of you might be thinking, but God never called me. I never got that call from God to come to him. Let me read the book of Romans that is the rebuttal for this. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God's called you. Everyone say, God's called me. Now, we can air him. But this is the scary part. One day we're going to stand before him. And no one's going to be able to say, I didn't get a call. How do we hide from God? We air him or we air his people. Uh, Christians are boring. Christian, I don't need Christian friends. I don't need to go to church. Christians are too judgmental. Christian guys have no source. Christian girls are goody two-shoes. No, 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 no. All of this kind of stuff. 
cannot, I, I hear it, but all of that stuff I've experienced out of the church as well. All of that stuff I've experienced in the church maybe, all of that stuff I've experienced out of the church. So I don't want to use that as an excuse for why people should be airing God's people. Have you ever considered that the reason you're airing God's people and trying to stay away from Christians is because you're trying to hide? You see, I know some boring Christians. I know some Christians that are a lot less than boring. But you see, one thing is true. I know what it's like to have something deep inside that you're trying to hide. I know what it's like to have something deep on the inside that you're scared of coming out. And so... I keep those real spiritual people at arm's length. You know that one old prophetic lady in your church? Like, she just puts the fear of God into you. Anyone that grew up in church had this one nightmare that there's going to be a sermon, someone's going to be preaching, and they're going to be like, hold on, you fifth row, blue t-shirt. You know what I mean? You know that fear? You. God's saying, stop it. God's saying he sees it. He's saying, stop it. Everyone's had that fear, right? And you see... When it comes to hiding away from God, yes, we hide away from him, but then we hide away from his people because we're scared that something is going to be brought into the light that the devil is whispering in your ear, keep it in the darkness. That's how, that we, that's how we hide. I told you why we hide, because of fear and shame. How do we hide? We air him, we air his people. Number three for you, where do we hide? You guys ever played hide and seek? Top three child game, and it ain't free. You know what I mean? Hide and seek, uh, it... And dot, dot, goose. I think that's a top three. That's a top three. And if you don't agree with me, argue with yourself. You see, there's three tactics when it comes to hide and seek. There's three tactics when it comes to hide and seek. Number one is to run. Number two is to cover. And number three is to camouflage. I know some of you are being distracted over there. She's getting the help that she needs. Thank you, God. Stay focused. Run, cover, camouflage. Now, the tactic of running in hide and seek. This is to create as much distance between you and the seeker as possible, hoping that the seeker will not go through such extreme levels to come and find you. You just try and run. Now, this is a bit of a weird tactic in real life. But I've been there before. You're at the bottom of the house, it's hide and seek. And what do you do? You run as far up, up the stairs, try and get into the loft as possible because you're trying to create that distance between you and the seeker, hoping that they're not going to find you. Sometimes we do that with God. Bad idea. You see, when it comes to hiding from God and running away from God, I'm talking about people who, when I say, when I say trying to create as much distance between you and God, I'm talking about people that try through their behavior to make themselves the least likely person to be evangelized to. I'm talking about that person that's trying to distract you from the sermon right now. I'm talking about that person who is constantly trying to run out of the meetings. I've been there before. <laughs> Having to be pulled back by a youth leader. I'm talking about the people that use their humor as a way of masking who they really are. Hey, why don't you serve in this team? Nah, you don't want someone like me and your team. Me? Nah, never. But really and truly, sometimes it really just is in jest. Sometimes it really is just people that are super distracted. But sometimes it's because we're hiding. Hiding behind this facade. You see, I had this friend in school who wasn't very smart. And every single time an exam came around, he would do his best to get kicked out of the class. 
Like I was in an exam one time. And because this guy was so scared of taking the exam, he stood up, he started shouting at the teacher, random. The teacher was taken aback, like, what are you? Just sort of sh- and then he went to the door, and he tried to yank the door off his hinges, and the door broke at the top, and he yanked the door off his hinges. Everyone in the class is like, yo, what's going on? Like, out of nowhere. And the teacher was just like, wait, get out of my class. And the kid was like, all right, cool, safe. <laughs> and walked out of the class. You see... His behavior was actually just him trying to hide because he was scared and he was ashamed. That's what some of us do when it comes to God. How else, where do we hide? Number one, we run away. Oh, running away is is self-sabotage. That's what I'm talking about. It's self-sabotage. Trying to make sure that you know where you're going. Number two is that we cover. This second tactic of where we hide is we cover um, you know in hide and seek where you try and like cloak yourself in something? Anybody used to hide behind the curtain, the long curtain? You know that one? Yeah, behind the curtain. You used to hide behind the curtain, your feet sticking out. Yeah. So covering. Uh, covering, another word for that is to submerge. Sometimes there'll be a pile of something, a pile of clothes, maybe some bed sheets, and you try and get under there and try and blend in under the covering. Submerge, or, or, or another word for submerge is to bury yourself or to busy yourself. See, I'm talking here about excuses that we bury ourselves in the cover. Hey, why don't you come to, I'm sorry, I got football on Sundays. Uh, why, why, you should come on Wednesdays when we do the prayer. To, oh, no, I'm revising. Hey, you, you, you've got a real anointing on you for, for speaking into people's lives. I'm only in year eight. These things that we use as covers to stop us getting called. Sometimes I hear it, but sometimes it's an attempt to hide. And why are we trying to hide? I said to you earlier, because of the shame and because of the fear. It's just these places that we decide to live in. Getting away with things because we've decided to live within these covers and submerged within these things. But really and truly, God is looking at you right now and he's saying these three words, where are you? And the last one's a bit obscure. It's a bit of a weird one. The third tactic, this takes a lot of skill. This takes a lot of years of hide and seek. You have to be a bit of a professional to do this one. This is to camouflage. Camouflaging is hiding in plain sight. Looking like your surroundings, even though you know deep down you're not. Have we got that picture of what good camouflage looks like? Yeah. You see, hiding in plain sight is a little bit like this. Because I'm talking, about the, I'm talking to the churchgoers now. I'm talking to the good ones. I'm talking to the, to the real good ones. That you, you are helping putting tents in at New Day. You're in bed on time. And in worship, it's, hmm. And every Sunday, it's the works and the works and the works and the works and the works. And you're doing good. And from the outside to man, we look at you and you say, wow, they're just, he's just exactly what Jesus wanted. But you see, to God, to God, our camouflage looks a little bit different. Our camouflage is a disaster. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If I went to your friends, and this might be resonating with some of you, if I was to go to your friends and ask them how your relationship with God is, what would they say? Because I know what, 
in school, I know what my friends would have said. Because my school, they weren't Christians, right? Even in church, I know what they would have said. They would have said, oh, TJ, yeah, is there every Sunday? In fact, he goes to prayer meeting as well. And like, he seems to know his Bible a little bit. And yeah, I think his relationship with God is top notch. In fact, he's one of the better ones, I think they would have said. But now if I went to God and asked him, God, I've just gone to, to Johnny over there and asked his friends how his relationship with you is. And all of his friends said that his relationship with you is crisp, it's good. Do you mind letting me know how his relationship with you really is? If the answer between those two things is different, then I think we might have a small problem of trying to camouflage. Now, I'm not just talking about not quite matching up to people's expectations. What I'm talking about is deep down, there's something deep-rooted deep on the inside of you like I used to have, and there's something that you're trying to hide, there's something that you're trying to push down, but you're trying to save face by works. And the works are not driven out of your love for the Lord, but they're driven out of a shame and a fear of getting exposed. That's exactly where I was, in a place of camouflage and one day God brought out his torch and brought what was dark into the light. See, why do we hide his fear and shame? How do we hide? We air him, we air his people. Where do we hide? We run, we cover, and we camouflage. See, I started this sermon with reading out a story of the prodigal son. And that's a real no, well-known story. It's about someone who goes to their father. He has everything. And he goes to his father. He says, I'm in need. I'm in need what you owe me. You might as well be dead to me. Give me what is rightfully mine. Uh, Because I don't, what, what am I doing here? And he takes this money. And he packs up his stuff and he goes into the town and he has prostitutes and he starts living large and he starts doing his thing. But life happens. Things go wrong. And he ends up on his hands and his knees eating the same food that the pigs are eating. Now, did that prodigal son feel ashamed? I think so. Did that prodigal son feel some kind of fear? I think so. You see, he's on his hands and he's on his knees and he would have been there just in the mud and the filth and disgusting and smelling awful and there's just mud all over him. And he would have been thinking, how on earth did I get here? How on earth did I get to this place where I was a son and I know whose I am, but I'm down here eating with the pigs? And he would have been thinking, I should just hide here forever. I can't go home and see my dad. I can't go home in this state with this shame and this guilt and this fear, I can't go home like this. Because what if he, what if there's consequences? What if there's a problem? What if, what if he wants to kill me? What if he can't, what if he tells me to go away? I can't go home like this. But what people fail to tell you about this story is this one thing. He did something that a lot of us spend our whole lives avoiding. He stood up. He was down there on his hands, on his knees, filth all over him, wallowing in a pit, a pool of pity, saying, why am I this way? He's in shame. It's the equivalent of us crying ourselves to sleep. Why am I this way? Why do I feel suicidal? Why do I have depression? Why do I keep cutting myself? 
Why can't I, why can't I stop watching this porn? Why can't I stop acting like this bad guy? Why are my emotions so far and locked away? Why is there this shame in my life? Why, why, why? You see, all of this, why God is saying one thing to you. He's saying, stand up. This prodigal son, he was wallowing, but then he stood up because he realized he had nowhere else to go. And he started walking home. And one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible, which says, as he's walking home, rehearsing his lies, saying what he's going to say to the father, I'm unworthy, I'm sorry. Just let me be one of your hired servants, I'm sorry. While he was away off, whoever whooped there was right. While he was away off, I'm excited as well. I'm going to do it one more time. While he was away off, his father came running. His father came running, sprinting, pulled up his robe and started running towards him. And you can imagine the, the son thinking, why is he coming towards me? Is he coming to kill me? I know I've done wrong, but oh, no, I shouldn't have come back. And as the father gets close, he goes and he hugs him and he kisses him and he puts the robe on him and says, get me the ring. He, puts, he, he clothes him in righteousness. He says, I don't, don't tell, shush, stop telling me about all the shame and the guilt. I've paid for that. You see, New Day, friends, let me tell you something. Right now, you might be ashamed as that guy was in that pool of pity, in that despair, down, feeling like you're not worthy. The very mere fact that you're sitting here right now is uncomfortable and the enemy is saying to you, just, just, don't, just leave, just don't, don't even engage, don't lift your hands up in worship, don't do these things, you're a hypocrite. You might be sitting here and feeling that and God is saying to you, come out of hiding. So today, band, we can come up. Today, and I'm not waiting till tomorrow and I pray that you don't wait till tomorrow because it's not promised. Today, we're going to attack shame. We're going to attack shame. We're going to come at shame. We're going to pray against shame. Each and every one of you that have come in here with some chains that are holding you down to the floor. God is saying, come out of hiding and he's saying, stand up. So I'm not going to count to three. But this is what I'm going to say. Everyone listen. If you're someone who anything that I've said today has resonated and you've realized that you're holding some shame, you're holding some fear, you're holding some guilt, you're holding something. I really am talking about the person whose parents seem to hate them. I'm talking about the person who has been labeled a bad person by school, and it's just ever since then you've just been in the... You just, it's just messed up your head, and you're starting to live in this caricature of who you really are. I'm talking about the person who was abused, the person who's still being abused, I'm talking about the people who are self-harming and are angry with themselves for doing it. And you feel this shame. I'm talking about people who simply have been living this life as a Christian, but really and truly haven't been living as a Christian. God is asking you right now, do what the prodigal son did, stand up. If that's you, I want you to stand up. We're going to pray the shame out of the room right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you, I want you to stand up. Youth leaders, we're about to become a ministry team. Everyone that is feeling shame right now, if you are feeling shame right now, we are going to pray against this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Chains are falling. Can you hear them chains falling? Can you hear them chains falling? Youth leaders, get around these people. People, get around them. We're going to start praying. We're turning this into a prayer meeting right now. 
Start praying against shame. Start praying. The enemy hates what we're doing right now. Start praying against this shame. If it's someone that you trust, someone that's around you, just say to them what that thing is. In the speaking of it, in the speaking of it, this thing will be broken. In the name of Jesus, I pray that shame be broken. Fear be broken. Guilt be broken in your name. You might want to lift your hands. You might want to go on your knees. Whatever it is that you need to do right now, it is you and God. It does not matter who is next to you. It does not matter where you're coming from. What matters is how good our God is at seeking. That's what matters. So just pray into it. Pray your best prayers over these people. Get in those huddles right now. My life was changed in a huddle. My life was changed when me and my boys got together and we prayed together. Why don't you do that right now? And in this place where it's safe, we come against shame in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every single name. Just keep praying. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep praying. Some of you need to get a little bit louder. Some of you need to start fighting. Some of you need to start fighting with your words and start saying this thing that has threatened me, this thing that has been in my life for so long, it will not overcome me because I am an overcomer in the name of Jesus. Keep praying. Keep praying. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, I just see shame lifting up. Shame leaving. Shame leaving. Shame leaving. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to worship, but keep praying. Keep praying. The band are going to sing over you, but keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Nobody's leaving here with shame in them. No one's leaving here with shame. In the name of Jesus, come with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and lift the shame off of each and every person. In your name, I pray, Jesus Christ. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.